Today on Blue 58, while the Aaron Rodgers story chugs along, or I guess more accurately doesn't go anywhere at all, there are almost 90 other players on the roster trying to get ready for the 2021 season. How is the whole team shaping up now that free agency is practically over and the draft is a pretty distant memory? Let's take a few listener questions and try to find out. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I want to mention a couple things right up top today. First and foremost, I usually save this for around the middle of the show, but wanted to mention the Discord server again uh, today. That is a benefit of being a part of um, the Power Sweep's Patreon team and it's a great place to discuss things with Packers fans from all around the world. And on this episode, we are going to answer questions that were sourced from that very Discord server. So check that out if you hadn't, haven't. Head to thepowersweep.com, or excuse me, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, and you can get involved in our, our Patreon effort there. Uh, whatever amount you would like to contribute will get you all of the content and uh access to the Discord server that you can handle. Speaking of content, we did post a piece of premium content, air quotes, um, on the Patreon today, uh, doing a bit of a deep dive on quarterback hand size, that thing that comes up around the draft each and every year. Did some statistical analysis on that uh, to the extent that I am able to try to answer the question of whether it matters or not. Also, We are about to embark on this year's version of the Blue 58 Book Club, something we did last spring that was quite popular, and uh, I'm excited to see how this year's version is going to go. We are currently discussing in the Power Sweeps uh, Discord channel, Discord server, uh, what book we are going to take up this year. So if you'd like to participate in that discussion, uh, that is a good place to get involved. You can suggest books there, uh, chat with other people about what they might like to read, and so on and so forth. Sound good? Good. Uh, like I said, we've got a bunch of questions today that I want to take up from readers and listeners around the world, so let's dive right into it. Ray Bay asks, how likely would you say it is that a college corner entering the NFL who has quote-unquote tight hips and is lacking in ability to adjust course against shifty receivers can significantly alter their play style to improve on those coverage abilities? That is a good question, and I'm assuming it is somewhat in reference to Eric Stokes. So we will take it up as it pertains to him specifically. But first, I've got to answer this question, what do, does having tight hips actually mean? This is some of that scout speak that you see tossed around about NFL players now and then, specifically defensive backs. What does that mean? Basically, in short, this is about change of direction. The best example of where you can see whether a guy has loose hips or tight hips is when a cornerback goes from backpedaling to running with a receiver. So he's running directly backwards, uh, just in a straight line, and then the receiver gets even with him and begins to move past him. He has to go from running backwards, essentially, to running forwards. Being able to flip your hips like that uh, shows how tight or loose your hips are. And the looser your hips are, the, the easier you can make that transition from going backwards to forwards. Uh, the great website inside the pylon defined tight hips this way, or explained the need for loose hips, rather, I should say this way. Quote, cornerbacks in off-man coverage need loose hips to react to receivers' moves in space. Hip fluidity is still important for press man corners, however, who must bail 
from facing the receiver to running step-for-step with them downfield, end quote. So basically, again, just moving from that backpedal to running, running forward. So as it pertains to the Packers, does a guy like Eric Stokes have tight hips? I say yes, but with a caveat. If you watch him on tape, it seems relatively clear that he is a little less smooth in short area movements than some of the people he's compared to. For instance, I have seen him compared to Sam Shields a few times, and I'm not entirely sure about that comparison. I get where it's coming from. Both are extremely fast. Both are in that six foot to six foot one sort of range, 5'11 to six foot one, depending how generous you want to be with your measurements. Both were said to have pretty good ball skills. Stokes, not so much, but Shields, definitely. But there are some problems with that comparison. Shields, for instance, had much better agility numbers, won't read off numbers into a microphone, but they were better in his testing. Stokes just isn't quite there. So, yes, there are some comparisons, like body type-wise, but Stokes is not quite what Shields was in terms of short area quickness. The point, though, is that Stokes does not so far at least, marry his speed, which is excellent, nobody's doubting that, with good agility. So why is that? Is it because of his tight hips? In part, but another part is that he's pretty tall. He was listed at six foot and a half inch, six foot one some places, and you start running into agility issues that can manifest as tight hips just because you've got long limbs. Personally, this is what kept me from becoming an NFL cornerback. I was just too tall, and uh, it really affected my ability to flip my hips and, and run with some of the four, three, four, four receivers of the world. I mean, if I had looser hips, that part wouldn't have been a problem at all. Tongue-in-cheek. But um, taller people do generally have this problem. Long-limbed people have problems with tight hips and making that, that move from backpedaling to running stride for stride with the receiver. Another part of the problem here is technique. And part of the, one of the most consistent things you see about Eric Stokes in scouting reports is that he's a good athlete with occasionally bad technique. And that manifests in a couple ways. It manifests in not having good footwork. It manifests in getting a lot of penalties And that's something that comes up in every one of his scouting reports. It manifests in being a little bit grabby, which leads to penalties sometimes. And this is that caveat. I think Eric Stokes' hips may appear tight because he occasionally has bad footwork. So to circle back to the question, is that fixable? Is a guy who was described as having tight hips in college able to shake that in the pros? I would say in this particular instance, yes. Because if it comes down to footwork and comes down to technique, I think that is something that can be fixed. And I think the Packers have a great guy in place to do it in Jerry Gray. If there's anybody around who can help Eric Stokes mold his prodigious physical gifts into real, consistent, NFL-caliber cornerback play, it's going to be Jerry Gray. And I think there's a good chance... Um, that he is going to be able to do that here over the next couple of years with Eric Stokes. Stokes is not the player in this draft class I am most excited about. 
Uh, but he is a very, very interesting prospect because he's got all the physical tools in the world. Can he just put it together at an even higher level than he already had uh, in college? Next up, Janelle asks, ignoring the quarterback position, can't imagine why you'd want to do that, Janelle, uh, but ignoring the quarterback position, where do you feel the strengths and weaknesses are on the Packers roster post-draft? I would like to break this down into three categories. Uh, I don't want to talk super in-depth about any position's particular strength or weakness, but I think there are positions that are stronger and positions that are weaker, and then positions that are kind of question marks. So let's talk about the positions where I think the Packers are stronger right now, or positions that are a little bit stronger than others. Starting with wide receiver, this is not a finished position, but I think it is a strong one. I like the variety the Packers have going on here. Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Amari Rodgers give you a diverse selection of receivers with which to attack the defense. I kind of wish they double-dipped in the draft or invested more in undrafted free agency or even traditional free agency, but they've got a lot of variety here, and if you throw one more body in the mix there, maybe maybe a free agent pickup at some point here, um, still could happen. Uh, you never know. You're, you're really cooking with something there. Uh, but I think they've got some good prospects and uh, a lot of variety. And as long as they stay healthy, this is going to be a pretty healthy position, a pretty strong position. Uh, same kind of goes for running back. Really good one-two punch there with uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And they've got interesting options behind them. We've talked about uh, Kylan Hill recently, Patrick Taylor, of course, a, a longtime favorite of this podcast. Um a lot to like there. You can you can get a good season out of that group. Tight end, uh, fairly strong position right now. Right now, the Packers have one of everything and two of some things at tight end. You need a big blocker, you got Mercedes Lewis. You need a couple athletic movers, you got Robert Tunyon and Jay Sternberger to a lesser extent. He's not as athletic, but I don't think you take my meaning. It kind of falls into that archetype. You need an H-back, you've got Josiah DeGuara, you've got Dominique Daphne, and you need some developmental guys. How about Isaac Nauta and Bronson Kafusi? Uh, a lot to like there. Um, even if you just go with your top four or five guys, you're in pretty good shape. How about edge rusher? Uh, not as deep, maybe, as you'd like, but still pretty strong. Zedaria Smith, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, that's a pretty good top three, especially if Preston Smith has a better offseason this year than he did last year. Jonathan Garvin as a developmental piece is not too bad. Would have liked a little bit more, but honestly can't complain. Safety, too, I think is pretty strong right now. Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage are about as good as it gets for a starting duo. Beyond them, you've got some really interesting developmental prospects like Vernon Scott, Christian, or Henry Black, and Christian Uphoff, who we mentioned as a potential undrafted free agent contributor a couple podcasts ago. As far as weaknesses go, the first one that comes to mind is inside linebacker. I like Chris Barnes and I like Kamal Martin, but this is pretty shallow. Beyond them, you've got Isaiah McDuffie and Ty Summers. That's pretty much it. Can anybody in that group cover? Haven't really seen it so far, uh, but we'll see in short order once uh, once the, the bullets start firing this fall. That's uh, It's, it's going to be exposed very quickly if you don't have an inside linebacker who can cover or a safety who can do a reasonable imitation of a coverage linebacker. Defensive line two is a bit of a question mark or a bit of a weak spot, I think. Uh, You've got Kenny Clark, Kingsley Kiki, Dean Lowry, and Tyler Lancaster returning from last year's 53-man roster. Beyond that, 
Willington Prevalon, Delante Scott, and Anthony Rush from various levels of the practice squad. A couple of those guys got up to the active roster. Anthony Rush got exactly one snap last year. Hope you didn't blink. Uh, otherwise, uh, you, you missed it. And that's really hard to do because he's like 350 pounds, a really big dude. Um, and then you've got TJ Slayton, the fifth-round pick this year, and uh, Jack Heflin, the undrafted free agent. Not exactly a murderer's row. I would have thought they would have wanted more fresh blood on the defensive line than a fifth-round pick and an undrafted free agent. I'm not Brian Gutekunst. Maybe they tried to get more and couldn't, but uh, this is a position that's going to be largely the same as last year, and last year it wasn't all that good. Question marks. The final category. couple positions on this Packers roster that are still, I think, a little bit unsettled. We don't know what we're going to get. Cornerback comes to mind first and foremost here. I'm not really sure what they have right now beyond Jair Alexander. Kevin King is a bit of a roller coaster of sadness, I would say. Chandon Sullivan is fine, but just fine. Josh Jackson probably should be cut right now. As far as rookies go, Eric Stokes, I think he's probably a starter by mid-year, but who knows with how things shake out um, with Joe Barry. If this was Dom Capers, I think we could pencil in Eric Stokes as a year two starter. Uh, He would be entirely ignored for like the first six weeks of the season. He would play four snaps in week seven, and then he would randomly start a game, and then he'd be at like 15 snaps a game the rest of the year. Um, Boy, I'm glad we don't have to talk about Dom Capers anymore. Uh, And then Shamar Jean Charles. Could be a steal, could struggle, you don't know. Uh, But he's got ball skills like you wouldn't believe, so you never know. But that kind of plays right back into what I was talking about. Uh, This is a big question mark here. And then offensive line has to be a question mark too. I like all the additions they've made on the offensive line this offseason. But just because of the turnover, losing Corey Lindsley, obviously, having David Bakhtiari be in an uncertain situation, what's this going to look like? Who knows? Uh, Who plays where? Who plays when? Uh, That, I think, is a, a pretty open question right now. So offensive line has to be a pty big question mark here as we approach mid-July 2021. We've got a couple questions related to the Packers' defense that I think are, are worth exploring. So let's do just that. Old Packers fans writes, I would like to hear some discussion about the new defense under the new defensive coordinator. What will be the same and what will be different? As far as things that are the same, uh, you can look at the base defense being relatively the same. Joe Barry says he wants to stick with a 3-4 base defense. Um, I think that is a a very smart move for the Packers, given how their roster roster is constructed right now. Uh, Their their pass rushing guys are are a lot more like stand-up edge types than hand-on-the-ground 4-3 end types. Uh, so if you stick with the 3-4 base, there's a little less overhaul that has to go on there. But really, it's it's all broadly the same anyway, since it's a sub-package league, as we hear again and again and again. Uh, but Joe Barry says he wants to stick with a 3-4 base, so that is going to be broadly the same. I think we're also going to see a lot of Zedarius Smith rushing inside. He's too good to not do that. Packers are too light on defensive line, too. So they might as well stick Zedarius Smith inside where he does some really good work and uh, just let him work on guards and centers, which has worked out pretty well for the Packers over the last couple of years. As far as differences, I think we're going to see more zone from uh, the Joe Barry Packers. The Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley defensive scheme is built around what's called pattern matching zone, which in short, and we've described this before on the podcast, is basically like zone with man concepts. You're playing zone 
but you're relying on your defensive backs to follow what receivers are doing in front of them and react and adjust their zone coverage accordingly. There's, it's like zone plus, I guess is how I would describe it in shorthand. It's not following a guy everywhere he goes, but it's also not just staying in one area of the field. They're going to have to react to opposing offenses. And then as far as differences, I, th- I think we round out with Jair Alexander playing in the slot. I think that is something that is going to happen this year. Uh, and with what they did in the first round of the draft, I think you can see a situation where you've got Kevin King and uh, Eric Stokes as outside corners and Jair Alexander playing in the slot and then Chandon Sullivan uh, opposite him on the other side in the slot if they go with four corners and, and two safeties. It gets a little bit hairier from there if you try to mix in a third safety or, or move things around a little bit. But King and Stokes on the outside and Alexander in the slot seems like something that is probably going to happen this year given how the, the Fangio and I guess to a lesser extent the, the Staley scheme uh, relies on having a great corner in the slot. That's what J- Jalen Ramsey did the last couple years there uh, to great effect, uh, playing what they call the star role. And uh, the Packers have a really good cornerback who seems to be able to do a lot of different things. Why not give Jair Alexander a chance to do that? Those are some quick things that would be the same and things that may be different. I feel like I'm brushing over a lot of defensive stuff this offseason because I really just don't think we know what Joe Barry is going to do. And I said this, I've said this before in jest, but I think there's a grain of truth to it. I'm not entirely sure that Joe Barry knows what he wants to do either. If you look at his journey through the NFL to date, he's kind of run a lot of different things and been a part of a lot of different schemes. So does he really know what he wants to be right now? He didn't do a great job of explaining it in his introductory press conference, didn't give us a good grasp of what his his philosophy is. Not that I expect him to, to come out and spill the, the state secrets and stuff like that, but um, I, I think we got to wait and see. we got to wait and see what uh, what the Joe Barry Packers defense looks like. Luke Woodford, related to this, asks, what will be considered a successful season for Barry, considering the defense last season was actually mostly pretty good? I'd probably be happy just to not see off coverage on third and short. Fair. Um, We talked about this a while back. It's actually episode 401, so a couple months ago already, two or three months ago. Seems like a billion years ago that we were talking about Joe Barry being the defensive coordinator and how that was the big story of the Packers offseason. Fun times. But to recap, I think there are a couple areas where we can look for improvement from the Packers' defense over last year or uh, ways that we can measure uh, improvement over last year. Uh, I think it comes down to hard metrics and soft metrics. Hard metrics are pretty easy, just raw numbers. Soft metrics are more of a feel thing. And I described this at at the time as kind of like, are you scared of the Packers' defense? Can the Packers' defense take away what an opposing team does well? Stuff like that. Are the Packers using players well? It's it's more of a feel thing and not something you can really define, but I think you know it when you see it. Hard metrics, though, a few of them. Tackling, kind of squishy right off the bat, uh, but the Packers have historically not been a great tackling defense, especially under Mike Pettin. Pro Football Focus says they ranked 23rd, 19th, and 18th in the three years Mike Pettin was at the helm in Green Bay in terms of missed tackles. If they could at least get into the top half of the league, I think that would be a big improvement. Run defense has got to be better under Joe Barry. Uh, you do want people to run against you to a certain extent. It is less efficient. It produces fewer big plays. 
But the Packers allowed teams to be pretty efficient on the ground last year. They averaged four and a half yards per attempt allowed last season. Got to do better there. I'd like to see the Packers get more turnovers under under Joe Barry. Turnovers are fickle. It's hard to game plan for them. The Packers still had too few of them. They were 25th in takeaways in, in 2020 after being 7th in 2019 and 29th in 2018. There's no reason, really, the Packers should have gone from being 7th in the league to the bottom third of the league in a single year. The fickle nature of turnovers does not account for that. They should be able to do better than that. As far as the soft metrics type thing, uh, the phrase we came back to again and again last year with uh, Mike Pettin was just surprised by the obvious. The Saints game is probably the best example here. Uh, They were nickel and dimed by Drew Brees throwing with a wet noodle of an arm. Um, Alvin Kamara got involved as a runner and receiver, and both of those were just screamingly obvious coming into the game. The Saints were not going to try to go deep. They don't have the personnel to do it. They don't have the quarterback to to throw it to them if they could. They were going to try to get Alvin Kamara involved every which way. And what did the Saints do? They threw a bunch of really short passes with Drew Brees, and they got Alvin Kamara involved just however they could. Buccaneers game, uh, both of them really, but the NFC Championship game is the one I'm thinking about here. Attacking the obvious guys. The Kevin King came in, banged up, uh, had a back injury, was a DNP for most of that week, just didn't practice, was questionable heading into the game. What did the Saints do? They go after Kevin King. Chandon Sullivan having a rough game. Do you adjust to help him? Nope. Kept going after Chandon Sullivan. Tremont Williams stands on the sideline the entire game. Shouldn't be surprised by that kind of thing, but the Packers under Mike Pettin were. Packers also had issues with situational awareness, like Luke mentioned, lining up deep on third and one. NFC Championship game, don't have to explain to you there what situational awareness issues they had. Then just getting guys into position to do things that they do well. I don't know how you verify this, but it seems like the Packers under Petten had a hard time doing this well. So there, there are some quick ways that you can evaluate the Packers under Joe Barry next season. Finally, Serb Packer, writing in from Serbia, asks, do the Packers have a start-now player from this year's draft? Let's go a little bit deeper than that. Here are five tiers of players into which I think the Packers' nine draft picks fall. Tier one is day one starters, and I think they've got a clear-cut guy that falls into this category. It's Josh Myers. The Packers need a center. He is one. They could do something different. They do list him as a center slash guard, so maybe they start Elton Jenkins at center, put him at guard or something wild like that. I say don't overthink it. Just put him at center. Leave him at center. He should be the presumptive favorite to have the job. And I think whether it's at guard or at center, he's going to be a starter to start the year. Tier two is guys that are backup in name only. Amari Rogers, I think, falls into this category. When a healthy Tyler Irvin played around 30 to 35% of the snaps per game with the Packers, he was a key contributor in a small role. Rodgers should be that at least from the get-go. Nominally not a starter, but he has an important role in the offense, and he is going to fill that from the get-go. 
Tier 3 guys will be guys that are phased in more as the season goes on. These are guys like Eric Stokes and Shamar Jean Charles on defense. Both are going to get opportunities. I think it may take a little bit. On offense, I think we're looking at a guy like Kylan Hill. The Packers have really struggled to get that third running back involved under Matt LaFleur, but Hill looks like a really, really good fit, and he's a good athlete. Um, Might as well try to find a way to get him involved if they can. Tier 4 guys are going to be performing spot duty. TJ Slayton and Royce Newman seem like good candidates for this tier. Both seem like they're going to need a little development. Both seem like they are still going to see the field now and then. Newman may be this year's version of John Runyon. While Runyon steps in at guard, if the Packers need help at tackle, uh, maybe Newman gets the first crack off the bench. Tier 5 guys are going to be special teams, cameos, or just practice squad in general. That is, guys that are going to get most of their reps covering kicks and punts uh, may play spot duty at, at, the, at the absolute maximum on, on defense, so like four or five snaps a game, or just hang out this year on the practice squad. And no shame in that if that's where they end up. And that would be Isaiah McDuffie and Cole Van Lannen. Maybe you're higher on Van Lannen than I am. I just think the, the path forward for him is probably a year blocking for field goal attempts or hanging out on special teams while he makes the transition from tackle to guard in the NFL. So I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate everybody who asked questions, who helped us all um, continue this conversation in a very real way this time. Um, And if you want to get involved in our Discord server and help us shape future episodes that do things like this, I would love to have you there. Patreon.com slash the power sweep. Make your contribution. Get into the Discord server. Help us keep uh, churning out great content because uh, being involved in this conversation, getting others involved is going to help everybody, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.